like this. Do, do it for me. Imagine doing that for hours upon hours upon hours. And um, prayer is like that. So sometimes prayer is a very heavy burden, and that's why we need each other. But we need each other to prop each other's arms up in prayer and, and pray for each other. I think of your family, Bob. You, you need people to hold your arms up, don't you? You can't do it by yourself. I think of Judy. Judy can't do it by herself. She needs people holding her arms up. Uh, Vicki can't endorse. They can't do it by themselves. They, they need you to, to prop up their arms in prayer. And, you know, over the course of this series, we've been looking at this vapor. We've been looking at the ideal of death, in essence. And, and it seems like God has just brought it home in so many different ways as, as we've talked about this series from, uh, from Kurt last week. And, and then I see Jim back there just in, in November that Evelyn passed and, 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 and Sharon passed, I believe, in November as well and just December. So uh, God has... Uh, there's been instances that reminds us, and, and I think of Jim, and I, and, and I think of Terry. They, they still need you to, to prop them up in prayer as they go through the loss of these loved ones. And, you know, the Vapor series, we've been exploring uh, death. We've been exploring how, how life is but a vapor, and, and, and all we have is today, and tomorrow's not guaranteed, and yesterday's gone. And, and for the past six weeks, we've been looking at that, uh, that very issue, and and we'll continue with this six-week series ends today. And the, the premise of the series has been this. Our physical life is limited. And everybody says, amen, we understand that this physical life is limited. Uh, if you're tired this morning, say amen. amen. Okay. Okay. Ushers, can you wake those up that said amen because we want to be awake? But our physical life is limited. We, we, we understand that just in the course of life, we grow tired, we grow hungry, we grow weak, we get sick, and our, our lives break down. And, and the older you get, if you're under 20, you don't get this, but if you're over 30, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Our bodies don't do what they used to do. And so we, we see this fading physical life all around us and, and all that we do. But just because our physical life is limited does not make it less Valuable. Our limited life increases the value of today. Because today is all that we have. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Yesterday's gone. All we have is today. Because of that, today is more valuable. This is the most valuable day that you will have because it's the only day that you have today. And so we've been looking at this series with that thought in mind. In the last two weeks of the series, is, we've talked about this. Although our physical bodies are temporary, we have eternal souls. You have in your midst, you possess an eternal soul. And so although we have only today and this physical body will die and fade and we will all face death unless Jesus returns and takes us home, we still have eternal souls. And last week we talked about hell. And there's still the resources out there. Uh, Do I believe in hell, yes, I believe in hell, and I believe it is eternal, and I believe that we choose whether we, will, we can choose hell or we can choose heaven. 
but I believe in hell. And, and I put resources out on the foyer table if you're interested in, in looking at that topic uh, more. Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. Not, not because heaven's not an awesome wonderful place to be, but, but I think Jesus wants us to have a clear understanding of hell. And, and when I talk about hell, it, it's not some man-made concept. Jesus talks about hell. It's in the scriptures. And so I'd encourage you, if, if you question that or doubt that, read the resources. Re- read what Jesus says, if you don't trust me, because Jesus talks about hell. This week I'm going to read from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now, now these are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that, that if you want to save your life, you need to lose your life. I appreciated your, your word, Baylor. I think that's kind of what you're saying. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life. I love it. Baylor said there's two types of people in this world, sinners and sinners. And then there are those that understand that Jesus is the winner. You said it a lot better than I said it. But I like that. And Jesus said if you want to save your life, if you want real life, you've got to lose your life in me. That is the only way you will find life. And, and you, I believe you find rolled up in what Jesus is saying, this whole ideal of faith and grace and deeds all working together. It's not just everybody in this room has a head knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, it's not just about having a head knowledge of me, but it's having this life that is given to me. Not that, that that's all of a sudden that there, there's never any error, or we're, we're, we're completely perfect, and, and we can never miss the mark. You know, I like the Wesleyan definition of sin. The Wesleyan definition of sin is a willful violation of a known law of God, Right? But then you get that Old Testament or that New Testament word of sin and the New Testament word for sin is missing the mark. (laughs) I believe you can live in a state where you don't violate a known law of God every day. But I got to tell you, when God is the standard, when I look at the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the righteousness of God, even at my best, I feel like I missed the mark. Anybody else like that? (laughs) So I think Jesus is not saying, okay, unless you rise completely to my standard and be just like me, but but there's this ideal of losing my life in him and allowing him to mature me and grow me and change me and letting go of the things that I want and grabbing hold of the things that he wants. It's faith 
at work. It's why James says, faith without works is dead. Because this whole idea of faith that Jesus is talking about is this faith that animates our life. And you know what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned that in the church, there's a whole lot of people that know about Jesus, but don't really know Jesus. See, Jesus, and maybe you've never heard this before. I know you have. You've been in this church. There's been strong biblical preaching and and, and evangelist, and you've heard this, but Jesus calls us to something. He calls us to something more. And, and, And at the end of this, where we're giving it our best, there's this ideal of grace that that lifts us over the edge. I read this as I was preparing. So a guy gets to Saint to, to the pearly gates, and and Saint Peter says, "Okay, it's it's a, you got to gain a hundred points to to get into heaven." He goes, "So give me your best qualities, and 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 then I'll I'll tell you if you make it into heaven or not." And he goes, "Okay, well." I was married to the same woman for 50 years. I was faithful. I never cheated on her. Uh, You know, I was just a good husband. He goes, okay, that's two points. (laughs) And the guy goes, well, okay. Well, as a member of my church, and I was a tither, you know, I I, I gave, I served. You you know, okay, that's another two points. Okay, well, I started a homeless shelter in my town, and I fed the hungry, and, and say, oh, that's another three points. That guy, guy goes, my goodness, the only way I'll make it in is through God's grace. He goes, come on in, you understand. <laughs> At your best, you will still make it in by the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the blood spilt on the cross. But, but just because we make it in by grace does not mean that we do not give our whole life to Jesus because he's worthy of our whole life. How we live, this physical life determines our eternity because how we live our physical life is a measure of our faith. Following Jesus, our understanding, all of us will face death. This life is not the end. So what happens when I die? As a pastor, I have, um, I have stood in too many. As a matter of fact, if I never stand in another room and watch someone pass from this earth, and you understand what I'm saying, Brother Bob, if I never stand in another room and experience that again, that'll be okay. Because I've experienced it so many times in so many different aspects from, from, from a three-day-old baby to a 90-something-year-old man. And i got to tell you, there's always a bit of a mystery in it to me to watch a person pass from this life to the next life. You know, they're, they're there and then they're gone. I think it's Sharon. Terry, and uh, you know, I, I saw Sharon, I think, less than three hours before she passed from this life to heaven, and, uh, 
I walked in. I, I said, well, Sharon, I'm going to head out. I love you. And I can't remember if I prayed or not. I probably did because that's all pastors know how to do. When we don't know what else to say, we just pray. But that's probably not a bad way to be, I guess. So I said something and waved and Sharon went, bye. And then less than three hours later, she's no longer here. There's a mystery in that. there's There's a real thin line between life and death, when, when someone's here and, and then they're gone. And, you know, it, it's just an amazing transition. And it, I always think about what happens. And, and, and there's a lot of theories, and I, I'm not going to get into all the theories of, of what happens and how it happens and the timing. You know, I, I think we have these images of the, the heavenly waiting rooms. <laughs> you know, St. Peter's at at the gate. I don't know why St. Peter's at the gate. You know, he's got a clipboard and, you know, he's, oh, you're in, you're out, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I saw a, and this is a joke, so laugh, okay? There's a teacher, a garbage collector, and a lawyer, okay? You know that's always good. And they're at St. Peter's gate, and, and so the teacher's there, and St. Peter goes, ah, teacher would be pretty good to have in here. And so St. Peter says, well, I have a question for you. If you can answer this question, you come to heaven. He goes, there was a ship that crashed into an iceberg, and a lot of people died. Can you name the ship? And of course, the teacher knew that. It was right up her alley. She said, well, it was the Titanic. I goes, well, come on in. And the garbage collector, St. Peter, said, well, you know, you don't know. He, 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 may, he smell, may smell like garbage. So I, I don't want him in here. So maybe I'll ask a harder question. So he said, okay, how many died on the ship? But the guy had just seen the movie, so he knew. He said, well, 1,500 had died. And so he said, well, come on in. And so the lawyer came up, and St. Peter said, okay, name him. (laughs) 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 You know, Jesus talks about this often. He does. He he talks about this transition from heaven or from earth to to death. And and it's not St. Peter that'll be standing before you. Death places us fully in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, now I, I, I got to tell you, like I said, there, there's all sorts of theories on what happens and, and, and you know, the timing of the new body and the timing of the judgment. But, but what seems to be clear from me is that when you die, you will face God. You'll be fully in his presence. Now, if you're a person that has pursued God your whole life, God has been the object of your affection, your, your desire has been to please Him, even though you know sometimes you've fallen short and you've had to confess and you've done your best, that this, this life of pursuit of God will, will lead to great expectation as, as you go from life to death. But if you've avoided, if you have ignored God, if you place God on the back burner of your life, this transition from life to death will not be nearly as easy. Just imagine, death places you in the presence of God and he knows every motive, whatever you're thinking right now, God knows. He knows every thought, he knows every deed, he knows exactly what what motivates you. He knows exactly why you do the things you do. There's nothing hidden from God. 
that could be very frightening <laughs> or it could be very awesome. Now, if you've spent a life rejecting God, it's, it's your worst nightmare. If you've spent a life pursuing God, it's full throttle into an embrace with God. It's your life's aim. It's all that you've been living for is to seem. Now, Jesus uses the imagery of a father. And I think he purposefully, he wants us to see God as our father. And I know that that creates sometimes in the church, because everybody's life experience is so varied, sometimes these images that we use in the church sometimes causes people pain. So if they had a father that, that didn't love them or serve them or did not meet their expectations, sometimes they, they superimpose that image on God. And so when we say God the Father, they see this disciplinarian, this one that withholds love, this one with unrealistic expectations. When that's not the Father that Jesus describes I think see I I was blessed I understand that that I'm blessed with an amazing father Um, anybody ever goes to a basketball game with me and see me yell at refs and things blame my father okay my dad's a Kentucky boy and so he's a a UK wildcat fan and uh, he loves basketball and he 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 likes to be involved in the game heavenly father i think i'm my earthly father too and i i think jesus is purposefully using those connections because i gotta tell you if i've done my best if i've served god to the best of my ability if i've tried and and done what i could do i'm not afraid to go into my father's presence i want you to know You have a father who dearly loves you. And he desires this intimate relationship with you. This life of, and when we talk about relationship with God, we talk about prayer, we talk about the word. He he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And so when you die, you're just fully going into that presence. Face to face with God. Last week we talked about hell and this way we're talking about heaven. What is heaven? You know, we've talked about going to the presence of God. Heaven is living internally in the full presence of God. Now, I've had people object to that definition in the, in the, in the past. And, and sometimes I'll have people say things like, heaven is a place. And I've got to tell you, in my definition of heaven, I, I'm not sure where I'm saying it's not a place. But, but I tell you, wherever that place is, if God's not there, it's not heaven. <laughs> if God decides to leave heaven, guess what? I want to go where God goes. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> heaven is where God is. That's why even, even on earth, I believe, and, and you can... You can reject me. You can say I'm crazy. You you probably do that every Sunday at lunch anyhow. But but I believe you experience heavenly moments on earth where where God fully invades the space. And and, and I don't think it's fully heaven, 
But, but I think you get glimpses of heaven. Sometimes it's in a church service, right? Anybody ever church service? You're like, man, this is just like heaven. Uh, I can remember, and this is a memory that's vivid in my, my memory. Uh, we're, we're sitting in the backyard in Hamilton, and the boys are playing, and I'm aware of God, and I'm aware of his blessing. And I thought, man, this is just, it, it was just a snippet. It wasn't hours upon hours. It was like 20 minutes. And in my mind, I thought, man, this is, this is just like heaven. It's not heaven, but it's just like heaven. You know, God can invade your here and now. God can invade your today in such a way that you catch a glimpse of heaven. You know, I'm thinking about you, Bob. I'm thinking about a son that's in heaven and there's that eternal connection here and there that, that sometimes when God just invades your moment, you're kind of in the same place. I don't know how, you know, probably nobody would write a theology book and probably professors would make fun of me, but maybe that's just homespun theology, but I, it just feels right to me. That God doesn't want us to be completely disconnected from those who've went before and those who are in his presence, but somehow God is still keeping his people together. So what is heaven like? Heaven is like, and there's images in the Bible, we'll go through several of them real quickly. Heaven is like a great praise gathering. And you see this, you, you see this image in Revelation quite a bit, this, this image of this great praise gathering. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're gathered around their throne and they're, they're worshiping and they're singing. It's the greatest church service ever. Now, I'm going to say this with just a little bit of a hesitation and a little bit of a caveat. I can remember preachers preaching and saying, it's just one big church service. And the only one that sounded like heaven to was the preacher, right? <laughs> can we be realistic enough? Uh, you know, I, I can remember thinking as a child, well, you know, hell is terrible, so I guess I would rather be in church all the time than in hell, right? But heaven is more than just a church service. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're not going to sit in pews and, and, and listen to a preacher talk all the time. You know, there's elements of heaven that, that resemble this great, church service, this great praise service. And, and to the extent that this time is not heavenly, maybe we need to alter our time here a little bit. See, I believe church services, and, and maybe, maybe, that's why, maybe I need new joke books, okay? Church services could, should be times filled with laughter and joy and community and love, Right? Because that's the image that you have, and an image of, of heaven. It's just, it's, heaven is like a perfect city. You can find this image in Revelation, all over the book of Revelation is this, you know, I, I see the new Jerusalem, I see this perfect city. And, and, and so when you think of the image of a city, I, I think you have to think about images of production, 
of community? He said, whoa, whoa, pastor, are you saying we're going to work in heaven? Yeah. I don't think you'll be, and I'm just using the images of the Bible. I don't think we'll be lounging around on clouds playing harps. Who can play a harp? I'm just curious. Anybody in here? Okay. But I think your production and your work will be suited to who you are. Now, Jim Carsey, I think you may be doing some woodworking in heaven. I don't know. Maybe gold working. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll be a goldsmith there. But, but I believe there's an element of production in heaven. Work is not evil. Work is good. God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he put them to work, to be productive. And so I think in this, in this perfect heaven, where we are fully in the presence of God. This, you know, the Bible also uses the image of the new Jerusalem, the new earth. There is this image of at work in the way that God wanted us to be at work. John, in John 14, and I, 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 love, I love all the songs we sing about heaven, even though some of them don't necessarily fit the ideal of of what the heavenly image of the Bible might be. We, we sing about, uh, what, what's the song? I, I want a mansion in heaven. How, how's that go? Somebody help me, help me here. Huh? I have a mansion in heaven. Over the hilltop, okay. Um, Jesus actually doesn't talk about each of us having our own mansion. And you're thinking, oh, you mean I'm going to have to live with other people? <laughs> Talks about a family home. You know, Jesus uses the imagery in John 14. He, he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And there's this beautiful imagery, and, and the imagery that Jesus is using is this imagery, imagery of the bridegroom going to his Father's house and building a room on his Father's house and then going and getting the bride and coming back and moving into the family home. And so in the image of heaven, there's this image of the family home. I don't know, for some reason I'm talking about dad a lot today, but dad's family lived in Kentucky, and now down towards Barberville, Kentucky. Anybody know where Barberville is? Actually, my family is from Stinking Creek, Kentucky. Mills, Kentucky is the name of the town. And my grandma's maiden name was Mills. And my, you know, so go figure. <laughs> uh, so, somewhere there's a family pole instead of a family tree, as I've heard it said before. Um, but they, they, they had this little store, and then they sold this store, and then they bought this big white house in, in Barbersville. It seemed huge as a child. And, and I can remember... You know, my, my dad was one that didn't like kids to be awake in the car when he was driving, right? So we'd leave at like 3 o'clock in the morning to drive to Kentucky. And it was like a five-hour drive then. And, uh, and you'd wake up, and it was still dark. And you'd walk into the house, and there's my aunts and you know, my uncles, and they're, you know, they're hugging you and loving you. And, and then there's 
Anybody ever have a Kentucky breakfast? You know, fried chicken and biscuits and gravy and pork. I, I mean, crazy. Who eats like that first thing in the morning? It sounds good right now, though, doesn't it? You know, when I think back at that, of that, of that image in my mind, I, I, I probably in my life have never felt this more welcomed and at home as right then. That's the image of heaven. A room in your family house. I remember going away to college and coming back. You know, there's something special about going back to your room, <laughs> sleeping in your bed. And that's the image that Jesus gives. And then throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus uses this image of the wedding banquet. That heaven is like a, a wedding banquet. It's like a big celebration. How many somber wedding banquets have you been to, right? <laughs> It gets somber after the banquet, right? I saw this. Was it uh, Roosters? Anybody read the signs on Roosters' walls? And they're, they're fun. The sign on Roosters' wall says, me and my wife had 20 happy years, then we met. <laughs> I got a kick out of it. That's <laughs> uh, a wedding banquet. It's, it's this place of, of celebration, of new. It's not somber. You know, heaven is being fully in the presence of this blessing and loving Heavenly Father. Imagine the greatest worship service. Imagine your greatest day. Imagine the times you sensed God's presence the most and multiply that by eternity. So what's the point? Heaven is real. And it is worth pursuing with our entire life. Nothing else really matters. It's eternity. Eternally in God's loving, blessed presence. Now, here's the point of the series. Heaven is pursued in today. It's not a wait and see. It's, it's not about yesterday. See, that, that's the glory of this. Your yesterdays can be forgiven and forgotten, and you can live in the possibility and the hope of heaven in today. You can let go of the past, and it's not about tomorrow. It's about today. Today is the day. But Jesus promises eternal life, and, and, and this eternal life is not just heaven, but it's a quality of life that, that you can begin experiencing this heaven on earth, if you will, in today. As a matter of fact, you know, the Bible really, particularly in the Old Testament, is not preoccupied with death. You ever wondered why the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you know, it, it talks about death, but, but the Old Testament focuses on life today. And part of the reason is this, the, the Egyptians were focused on death. 
Death was all that mattered to the Egyptians. And they lived their life and they worshipped and, and that's all that mattered. And, and then the Old Testament is written with this ideal. You know, today's what is matters because today determines eternity. C.S. Lewis says this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. <laughs> I like that. I would, I would phrase it like this in the context of this series. Live for eternity in today. <laughs> Have eternal virtues fill your life. Let your life be full of love, faith, and hope. And the greatest of these is love. Put faith and hope at work by living a life of love in today. You can love someone today. Live with a level of urgency in today. And maybe, maybe see it in a different way. Make the most of the opportunity called today. Don't let any opportunities go by. Be aware today that you are leaving a legacy for tomorrow. That your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and line after line after line is being impacted by the choices you make today. And then live with an awareness that heaven and hell There is an eternal destination, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is an eternal destination that is being determined by how we live our todays. Stand with me, if you will. Where is your life aimed? If you were going to take a... um, If you were going to just... Consider, what's the trajectory? What is your life aimed for? The point of this series is this. Point today towards eternity. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. We're just giving you an opportunity. I think it's appropriate to have an opportunity to pray. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. Maybe you're praying for yourself. And we're going to wait just a second, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. pray. Our Heavenly Father, right now we, um, we stop and give you praise for every blessing that you've given to us. You've blessed us in so many ways and you've, you've allowed us to um, live in a measure of your love. But Lord, I believe there's coming a day when we will stand fully in your presence. Lord, if we've pursued you and, and you have been the goal, the aim of our life, then it is a place that we will approach with, with joy, with gladness, with security. But Lord, if we've avoided you, it will be a place of great fear. It will be a place that Jesus describes as a place of gnashing of teeth, urgent cries, wells of terror. Lord, I stop and I think about what you've done. That you sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could live today 
in a way that's pleasing to you. We, we can live in a way that is uh, geared towards eternity. So help us, Lord, to use this day in a way that uh, brings honor and glory to you. Help us, Lord, to, um, to celebrate as you uh, show up and show us just a, a little bit of eternity. And Lord, help us to love one another as we uh, leave from this place. Fill us once again with your presence, with your spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand that um, as we go from, from this church service, we don't cease being the church, but we truly become the church at mission in our community. And Lord, there will be people who will encounter us in restaurants and stores, at our workplace, at school this week. And Lord, as they encounter us, uh, you desire to interact with them through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, fill us once again, use us, and may we bring glory to you by the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.